We're going to bring start a new series on balance. And today, before we even start, I thought I'd bring a little prop along. And I thought it would be very instructive to think about this. If you understand the physical laws of balance, and what I'm about to tell you today, and you apply these to your finances, weave them into your finances, they will help you for the rest of your life. Young people, listen carefully today. Because you're just starting your journey. If you're married or you're about to get married, especially listen carefully. Because problems multiply when you have a family. So the first thing I want to just talk about today is the law of the physical laws of balance. And there are three of them, by the way. I want you to notice that when you, if you want to balance something, well, I didn't even think about those lights, what you're going to think about when you balance something is you have got to have a fixed perspective. You've got to have a perspective up there. Now, to keep balance at any stage, if I take my eyes off the top of that, my, my eyes off that, what's going to happen is I'm going to lose the plot. If I look down, whoa. Doesn't matter, but I'm going to keep my eyes on the top. If I look out there, I'll do it for a second, but then I'll lose it. The second thing I've got to do, notice what my finger's doing. I'm making constant adjustments to keep this pole in balance. Let's go back to the first one. A fixed point of view here. I'm looking upwards. When I'm looking upwards, it's important. Have you ever seen cheerleaders in the pyramid? Ever seen them? They're all stacked up four high. Ever seen those? We have them a lot in America. We lived in America for a long time. And you have pyramids of girls often stuck. And then there's somebody at the top standing on somebody's hand. And you go, how do they do that? How do they keep their balance through all of that? Well, what they have, they are all told to keep your eye on a fixed reference point. Don't take your eyes off the fixed reference point. Because if you do, all of us will collapse. That's what they do. They keep their eyes on a fixed reference point. Important part in balancing. Fix your eyes on a reference point. The second thing is you will do is you need, a, a, remember, constant correction. Now, I don't know about any of you, but if you've ever had to walk over a plank, a very narrow plank, and you kind of walk along and you're like this, right? You're making a correction. As you go, lest you end up in the ditch, falling off and hurting yourself. Now, that's for some of you. For some of you, you may be a bit more familiar with another application. There's some flashing lights behind you, and the police officer calls you up, and he draws a line in the old days, and he'd say, I'd like you to walk the line. Now, the moment you have to start doing this, you might as well just stop and jump in the back with the Alsatian. <laughs> Because you've got a serious problem if you can't walk down a, 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 and, and, and without having to make constant adjustments as you go down that line. So when I have got a fixed point of reference like this, which is I'm looking at the top, and at the same time I'm making constant adjustments, I want that pole to stay up. And the third thing, or the other thing I've got to do is I've got to have a clear objective. I want this thing to stay vertical. I know exactly what I want it to do. Stay. That's what I need to do. Three things. A clear objective, where you want to go. It may be trying to keep the pole vertical. It may be to go home and sleep in your bed rather than the cell. 
but you've got to keep your objective clear. So we need to be clear about what I'm trying to do. And if you learn to weave these three objectives, these three laws into your finances with the fixed reference point, the constant adjustment, because guess what? Winds blow. And the third thing is a very clear objective, whatever that may be, to get out of the other side uninjured when you're walking the plank. So what happens if I violate any of these laws of balance? If I violate any of them, what happens immediately? Well, my pole's going to fall, right? But what happens if I violate any of these laws of balance when it comes to finance? You know what happens immediately? Nothing. And that's why so many folks have spent so much of the seasons of their lives violating financial principles because there have been no immediate consequences. Consequently, you don't do anything about it. Now, if you start bad financial habits in your teens, if you start bad financial habits at university... If you start bad financial habits as a foundation of your marriage, by the way, you can even get away with that for a while, even if you have a reasonably good paying job. And you can go a few seasons violating them without feeling necessarily any immediate effects. That's what's so deceiving about this trap. Because the laws of finance, folks, I've discovered, do not follow the laws of Pinocchio. They follow the laws of the harvest. You remember Pinocchio? Every time that joker told a whopper, what would happen? His nose would grow. Immediately. Remember? Tell a porky, oink. Tell another one, wink. Immediately it would grow. Now imagine if every time you said something that you shouldn't say, your mouth got bigger. <laughs> Just imagine for a moment, immediately. And you learn that pretty quickly. So you would be extremely careful what you said. Or if every time you looked at something, you shouldn't. Your eyes got bigger. Some of you men would be going like this with blinkers on. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to see him. I don't want to see him. I don't know. Or if every time you heard something you shouldn't hear, imagine if you did that, your ears immediately got bigger. If there are immediate consequences, we do something immediately about that. The point is, is where there are immediate consequences, we get on it. However, in the realm of personal finances, they do not operate under the law of Pinocchio, but they uh, operate under the law of harvest. Now, what that is, you sow now, and you reap later, and you reap greater. 
That is the law of the harvest, which finances operate under. Listen carefully, young people. That is the law of the harvest. You sow now, you reap later, and you reap greater. However, I want you to think about something. Imagine two farmers, and they both go, uh, and uh, two farmers. One goes out and plants seeds. That's number one. The second farmer, he doesn't. He sits back and has a cup of coffee or two and doesn't do anything. Now, let's move the clock forward one week. So one week later, both have exactly the same to show for their effort or their lack of effort. Because the law of harvest is later and greater. Now, in 2007, 2008, the GFC shook up a lot of folks. The global financial crisis shook a lot of folks. And it brought to the service a lot of terrible decisions, bad decisions, a lot of bad habits that they'd had for many, many years. Folks, there are always consequences for being out of balance. Now, another thought to consider is this. I want to be real clear about this because it's irked some of you. Does it matter today whether you do this God thing or not? You may not even be a Christian here today. In fact, you may well not be. But this has irked you. The law of finances does not follow. You may want to write this down somewhere. It does not follow the law of fairness. Hasn't been fair? wasn't fair it's never going to be fair in the history of the world a couple of people have tried infamously unsuccessfully to try and make personal finance fair people like Mao people like Marx and even with all of the authority and all of the laws and all of the control command of that nation, they could not make it fair. It's never going to be fair, but it can be balanced if you follow the laws of balance. Because see, fairness would require somebody else to control the world around me. But balance is something that I can create in the realm of my own personal finances. If I know the laws of balance and I apply the laws of balance. Now, by the way, the truth is we really don't want fear. We don't want fear. We want opportunity. We want to make our own decisions and have the consequences of our own decisions on our own shoulders. We want to be free financially and to have margin. So it's not about fear. Regardless of what your background is, you can bring balance to your finances. Guys, I just want you to run the video for the moment, please. Okay, so... Again, back to balance. A person's personal finances are out of balance when you're not sure what to focus on. When you're not sure what you should be focusing on, you're going to end up in a big fat mess. 
Just a bit of a time, but you need to be sure what you're focusing on, firstly. Secondly, when you're not sure why you even have money in the first place, by the way. People's lives get messed up. Why have I even got money? What's the purpose of it? And thirdly, they don't know how to make the right corrections. You're out of balance. Now, sometimes these consequences show up in your personal finances, but at other times, out of balance shows up in other arenas as well. Being out of balance financially does not necessarily create immediate financial problems. Unbalanced finances creates an improper value system at home. This is one of the areas it's going to show up in, in the home. If you grew up in a family and your parents argued about money, or right now, today, you are part of a family, a home that argues about money, or maybe you have an older brother and his wife, and they're always arguing about money. Here's a thought. Probably there's enough money to go around, but there's not balance. Couples who argue about money are often really at odds over the value system behind it. How to manage money. How each maybe sees debt. Somebody's around, ah, what the heck? Debt's there to be used. Just use it all the time. Or how important savings are. Often couples are at odds in that area. Now, the out-of-balance money problem often spins out into, our, into marriage problems. And the other way this can creep in and get you is maybe you came from a home that had an approach to finances. And perhaps in your point of reference, mum and dad you grew up in a home where mum and dad had an irresponsible approach to the use of debt. And so it's very easy, consequently, for you to abuse credit. And, sadly, your parents allowed you to leave home with an improper view of finance. Tightly tied to that is they allowed you to leave home without instilling in you the ability to wait for some things. Now, for those of you who are parents, be careful you are not creating in your kids the propensity for them to be out of balance when they're managing their own finances. You are their greatest teacher. If kids grow up in a home where they never hear mum and dad talk about how God's values intersects with how they manage their money, chances are, friends, kids are going to grow up with an imbalanced view of finance. If they never hear mum and dad talk about other people in this world who are less fortunate than you and I are, and maybe we, we were going to buy this, or maybe we should put that off and support something else, or take that same money and do something else with it. 
then they're going to grow up with an improper view of finance. Talk to your kids about finance and how that intersects with your view of God. If you're a uni student today, I want to talk to you or a single person. This is so important because if you are in balance, out of balance in the way that you manage your money as a single person, oh la la, you're going to feel the pressure of the credit card or too much desire and not enough margin. And you maybe see this thing about these kids in Africa and oh my goodness, and in your heart you were generous. But when it came to follow through, Maybe you didn't feel so good about that. Because you didn't. And as a single, it's sometimes almost you can fool yourself to think you're pulling it off. But when you get Sally, single, an unbalanced bill, joining cabooses, two people who are out of balance and they marry, the pressure builds exponentially. And it often takes people by surprise. Now, it's one thing to be out of balance with just you and with a job and money coming in it versus another entirely separate set of implications if you're still out of balance and you lose your job. The ramifications and implications of not being balanced in your personal finances as you go through the various stages in your life take on completely different meanings. Let's just summarize a little bit here. Being unbalanced creates habits in one stage of life that have increasing repercussions in the next phase of life increasing repercussions. Now, you and I can be out of balance in many different ways. One of the ways is being unbalanced makes it very easy for you to hoard money and hard for you to give money. That's one of the ways of being out of balance. Out of balance can look very different for different people. Being in a balance makes it easy to spend money for some of you and very hard to save money for some of you. Being in balance makes it easy to worry about having enough when you have enough. Or you may have money, but you have no peace. You have no contentment. And there's this constant insecurity within you. And being unbalanced makes it easy to presume on the future rather than preparing for it. You know, oh, you know, I know I'm getting a bonus coming, so I'm just going to spend it. I'm going to do that. Now, the expressions of being at a balance are as varied as our personality is sitting here today and are often reflective on the way in which we were raised. Being out of a balance for one person will look very differently. And you know what we tend to do? We often look very critically at the other person because we see they're out of balance in that area, 
but we don't look at the area that we're at a balance. So here's a surprise. About now is a good time to share a surprise with you, which sets us up for where we're going next. The more money you have, the easier it is to be out of balance and to stay out of balance. That's a shock. That's a surprise. And this is why this happens. Let me tell you the underlying reason for that. Anytime we have extra of anything, we tend to become undisciplined with it. So same for time. We tend to be poor, undisciplined. Being undisciplined with money can present itself in a way, in many ways. And maybe the way that we use debt. Maybe in the way that we spend. Maybe for some of you in the way that you save or you don't save. Maybe for some of you in the way that you give. Maybe for some of you in the way that you plan or you don't plan. So the principle is wherever there is a lack of discipline, we move towards imbalance. We lose sight of what we should be focused on. We lose sight of that. We forget how important it is to make constant adjustments. We think of it, well, we'll just set it and forget it. No, no. As we're going to see real soon. The Bible doesn't encourage that at all. And then we forget, and we're going to talk about this next week, why we have anything to manage in the first place at all. That's why for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what it looks like and what it means to be balanced in your personal finances. Now, a handful of you here this morning are probably wondering, Pastor Ian, why is this so important? Why is this so important? Important enough to even talk about this in church? It's a good question. Well, if you've read the Bible, you will realize quickly that the Bible talks twice as much about money than it does about faith and prayer combined, than it does about heaven and hell. Actually, 2,350 verses and passages on this subject. It is very important. And my objective over these next few weeks is to give you a balanced view of what Scripture says. The derivatives of the major principles within those 2,350 verses, which I've summarized. Here's why I believe from the teachings of Jesus this is critical to cover. Imbalance financially indicates that things are out of balance spiritually. As you read the Bible, you cannot miss that God has put so much in there about money. You can't be a follower of Jesus Christ and stay out of balance and mishandle your personal finances. That's as clear as I can say it. You cannot stay out of balance and mishandle your personal finances if you claim to be 
a follower of Jesus Christ. You can't be in sync with your heavenly father, what he's recorded clearly in his word, and be continually upside down financially and out of balance because of the decisions that you continually make. Nobody forces you to make those. You choose them. Because there is a relationship. Here's the point. There is a relationship between the way you handle your money and your devotion to God. A distinct relationship. A direct relationship. To follow the God of the Bible, to be a follower of Jesus means you have we have to get personal finances in sync with the teachings of Scripture, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, one more quick pushback before I get into this. And I understand this one. Some of you here may be thinking, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. It isn't like God in one area and money in the other area. In the same way, you know, let's keep these things separate, like God and politics. You know, they should be separate, right? Let me say something to you, if you've ever even thought that. Chances are you've already mixed God and money. Because as soon as you have a setback, as soon as you lose a job, as soon as your house doesn't sell, if you even sent a whiff of a prayer up north, you have crossed that line. And you say, God, I need your help. This sucker ain't selling. Or I need to close that deal. Anybody ever prayed that? I have. I'm just telling you. When I'm in the cactus, I am imploring, Lord, I need your help in this area. Maybe you have too, especially if it's a big sale you've been sitting on for three years and you need to close it. If you've ever prayed to get a job, you'd cross that line. Everybody wants God in his or her personal finances the moment things are looking sticky. And therefore you've already mixed God and money. And that's okay, he talks a lot about it. The scriptures are full of money talk. But here's something you may not know. I know there's 2,350 verses. Most of them, the majority, are not about giving. The majority of them are about how to manage money. Let me say that again. The majority of them are about how to manage money. The majority of them are about how to manage money. I want to balance your thinking up over the next few weeks. So we're going to spend a couple of weeks looking about what God says about how to be balanced financially. According to what the scriptures teach. Because God has much to say. Today I'm going to look at just a couple for kickoff. About what Jesus said. A couple of verses to start us with. And by the way, there is a relationship between the use of your money and the condition of your heart. Jesus said this about money. First thing. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. Treasure, what's that? Treasure is your stuff. Your stuff. Your money. Your things. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. It'll be drawn towards it. It'll be drawn towards it. You can tell it where a person's heart is, not by, ooh, look how spiritual that person is. They've got the red, the green, the blue in the Bible, and, whoa, man, they're just so spiritual. They must know God. So spiritual. You want to know where Ian Buckley's heart is? You open my Quicken Up, my financial accounting package which I've used for, used for 30 years. I can tell you where every cent has gone in the last 30 years. What's been saved, what's been given. Every cent. And that exposes where my heart... It doesn't matter what I say, how fancy my Bible looks, how pious I'm... How, how good a message I can preach. The question is, where has it gone? That's the truth. And what's true for me is true for you. Where is your money going? You may use zero. You may use sorted. You may use ASB's little natty little tool which allows you to track the various categories of where your money is going. I don't care how you do it. You may do it by hand. The Bible says, for where your treasure is, where is it today? There your heart is also. That's true of all of us. Now, I'll tell you where you may have personally encountered this. <laughs> have you ever had a mate who's got this stunning car? Stunner. And um, you had this relationship. And, um, but have you ever felt you were competing with the stuff, you know? You go up to a needs of this car and he goes, whoa, 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 that's my car. And you suddenly realize uh, that car, yeah, he likes me, but he loves his car. <laughs> Ever had a relationship like that? Or, or come across somebody like that? Who is so precious about their stuff, God forbid. I mean, personally, I've felt that a number of times. Well, I got the person like me, but careful of my stuff. That's the trump card. And this is what Jesus is talking about. It's like God saying through Jesus, I know that your heart will follow your stuff. Because you will polish it, you will maintain it, you will, you will vacuum it, you will spend all of this time on it. It will consume your life. Actually, I think I remember somebody once saying, don't be fooled. Your life does not consist of your possessions. Does not consist. What you find is what you think you own. It owns you. You pay it off. You polish it, you dust it, you insure it, you buy a bigger place to store more of it. And then some of you even put stuff in storage. Which you pay for. 
can you work for? I want your heart, but I do not want to compete with your stuff, Jesus says. I want your heart because your heart follows your stuff. I want you to surrender all your stuff to me so you can be free. I didn't come to set you free to have you be in bondage to your stuff. I can't go away. Can't do this. Because I'm worried about this. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about my house. I'm worried about my car. Don't scratch my car. God says, and listen carefully please here, I do not want your stuff. I made all the atoms that make up your stuff. I do not want your money. The Bible says, behold the earth and the fullness thereof. He owns the lot. The lot. But it is a fact of life, friend, that your heart will follow your stuff. Next statement. Now, 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 now. now, you think that was a little interesting. The next statement you go, wait a minute. I've got to think about this next one. I'm not so sure I want to take this next one. Let me think about this. This is so true and so powerful. If you were a Jesus follower, you will have felt this tension, as have I. He says this in Luke 16. No one can serve two masters. Can't have two bosses. Not two number ones. One's going to win out. There's only one number one. Either choice, binary choice, you will hate one and love the other. Or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Summary statement coming up. Boom. You cannot serve both God and money. Who said that? Who said that? Who am I quoting here? Jesus. There is no equivocation in that summary statement. This is an issue of the heart. Now, the first time you hear that, first time I heard it, I wondered, Jesus, wouldn't it have been better to contrast, you cannot serve God and the devil? That sounds a good contrast to me. But Jesus knew, you and I, this is where you're going to face it every week of your life. You cannot serve both God and money. As masters, the two are mutually exclusive. Love for money, let me be clear, will drive the other one away, one away from God. Well, how'd you get that, Pastor Ian? Well, let's just move down a little bit further to First Timothy, where Paul gets after this. For the love of money. There's nothing wrong with money. Let me be clear. Remember this nuance. Nothing wrong with money. It's the excessive love of it. Right here is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving for what? Craving for money. That some have wandered away. Here we go. So through the craving for money, some have wandered away. And Paul says, this is not what's supposed to happen. They've wandered away from the faith. They've abandoned God. And they've pierced themselves, ow, with many a pang. 
That hurts. It's bitten them. Now, conversely, loving God will cause one not to make making money the primary concern. Or oh, I'm all for making money. I'm a businessman too. But it's a miserable master. It's number two. Under God. It serves God. Now Jesus would say to you and me, probably more to the, than any other people in the world, the struggle and tension that you will face and I will face is who is going to be your master? That's what he's getting after. Are you going to serve your stuff? Are you going to serve the accumulation of wealth? Making sure you have enough, making sure your kids have enough, making sure your kids' kids have enough, and on and on and on and on. Or are you going to serve stuff and hope that I will help you? Or are you going to serve and surrender to me? You can't have it both ways. See, many people try and serve stuff and hope God will help them along the way. The tension is God or money, and that tension will never go away. Now, your heavenly Father has invited you into a relationship where we make our love of stuff subservient, this is good, to our love and our devotion to him. And every day we make that decision. I like my stuff. I want to say I want to save. I want to have enough for when I retire. I want, I want, I want. But at the end of the day, God, I want you to know all those desires, all that I want, I want, all that discontent, all of the what if, all of the I'm afraid. What about all that afraid and that fear? Every day of my life, I am going to surrender that to you and live out of an abundance mentality, not of a scarcity mentality. Because I don't want to spend the rest of my life serving stuff and trying to get you to help me in the process. When the acquisition and the pursuit of stuff becomes your master, you, friend, are out of balance. Jesus doesn't want to get your money. Jesus wants to make sure your money and your stuff doesn't get you. God doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't need your stuff. But when your stuff has you, guess who you're serving? If you're in a marriage, or you're constantly arguing, or you're engaged, and you're constantly arguing about stuff and money, my prediction is both of you are, one or both of you are serving that stuff. And stuff is not a master that can ever make you content. I don't know if you realize that. You buy your latest iPhone, shiny. I like shiny too. But I'm smart enough to realize I only buy shiny when the old one's actually dead. Because how many of you have ever upgraded when something's perfectly working as it is? You know, you just get the next model up. Hmm? 
Stuff is not a master that makes you content or you can relax under. There's always bigger, better, more, faster, quicker. Always. It's a mirage. And there's a constant tension when you're serving stuff. But when a man and a woman come together and surrender everything to our Heavenly Father, including finances, and you share the same value system, you share the same perspective on life, Friends, in the summary statement, life is a test, life is a trust, and life is a temporary assignment. It's only so short. Then you don't argue over money. When you're on the same page, when you've got the same value system, and you're in balance. Now, let's get to the application. In this church, if you're new to this church, and if you're not a Christian, you can still do this today. We need to apply what we've learned. So this week, I want you to spy on your money. I want you to go sniff it out. Where is it going? Some people say money talks. I found, no, it just sneaks out the door very quietly. (laughs) I don't know where it went. Now, this is really high finance. This is what I want you to do. And I want you to take a piece of paper and I want you to get the dates for the next seven days. I've done this for 31 years. Rubbish, more than that, 33. And I want you to write, just record down all of the coffees that you buy, you know. Cappuccino, $4.50. Grant, (laughs) $40.50. All of those little things. That little bakery that you pop into. Just a little bit. And I want you to do this. I want you to know where your money's going. to, To manage your money, you need to be knowing where it's going. Now, I don't mind how you do this. For the rest of your life, you cannot take your eye off this, where your money is going for the rest of your life. Keep it fixed on where it is going. Do not take your eyes off it. For the rest of your life, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now it doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? But it is. Because as we will discover, it's not your money. You are managing somebody else's wealth. Now, I don't know about you, but years back I had portfolio managers that looked after some of my investments. And if I ever rolled into them one of those days to do my annual, my quarterly review, never leave it annually. Some of them are hopeless. And I rolled in there and said, hi, how's my investments going? And they go, well, I'm not a very organized kind of a person. <laughs> and uh, I'm, not so, so, yeah, I'm not so sure. Fire them! Immediately! Immediately! If they are so clueless, they don't even know where it's going, they need to be shot. <laughs> For those of you listening on the internet, I do not have a gun. It is not your money, as we're going to discover. It is God's. 
And when you are managing somebody else's wealth, you better know where it goes. Think about that financial planner. First step, develop a practice or method. I don't mind what yours is. I love my credit card because it separates my spending from my wife's spending. <laughs> and I can see what's going on here, which is good. Before, was it you or was it me? Yeah, we, we couldn't figure out where actually we could. So develop a, ma- a method of tracking where your money goes. It is necessary for balance. You cannot get to where you need to be if you don't know where you are to begin with, Right? Like if I said, we need to go to Wellington. How do I get there? Well, you can't tell me unless you know where I am. If I'm in Christchurch, it's one set of directions. If I'm in Kaitaia, it's another set. You need to know where you are. And there are four key numbers, by the way, we'll get to you later on, that you will need to know. You know these four numbers, you'll know where you're going. So what you earn and what you, uh, uh, what, what you, earn and what you um, spend, what you own and what you owe. We'll get to that later. So get a system. Now, some of you may want to just flick it over to the next one. I want to just, uh, okay, sorry, uh, that's fine. Look at this verse here. By the way, um, if you need a system and you haven't got one, you may want to have a look at Sorted. Sorted's got a brand new website, which has got some brilliant tools in there that can help you with your budget, where it's going to. This is the reason why. Riches can disappear fast. So watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and herds. Now, I don't know about you, Stefan, but I ain't got any flocks or herds floating around my back garden, but I do have some stocks. So know the state of your stocks. Know the state of your KiwiSaver. Anybody that's sitting here in the standard KiwiSaver needs some help. The standard conservative KiwiSaver will not get get you where you need to get to. That's another subject coming up later on. But you need to know the state of your stocks or the state of your flocks, the state of your herds, the state of your business is what it's saying there, literally. Another great verse which we use in management all the time, I used to use this all the time, is Proverbs 23, 23. Get the facts at any price. You need to know the facts. Husbands and wives... Share information. Wives, you should know exactly the state of your household finances. Don't just delegate it upwards or downwards or crosswards to your husband. You need to be vitally familiar with what you're earning and what you're spending combined, what you own and what you owe. B, ignorance is not bliss, it's expensive. Be involved. Now, the starting point and the reference is this, knowing where it's going. Kimberly and I have done this for 33 years, and I'm asking you to do it for seven days. Now, I just want to say something very clear to you so you can all relax. In this series, there is no capital campaign there will be no request for any special offering. I don't want anything from you. Is that clear? I want something for you. I want you to trust God in every area of your life and experience God's faithfulness financially. 
Trusting God with your money is an invitation for him to bless you. I want you to be financially free to obey God. Some people say, oh, I'd love to obey God. I'd love to serve God. I'd love to give more of my life to him, but I can't because I'm financially strapped. You need to learn how to make margin for ministry. Young people learn that early so you don't get hooked on that one. I want you to be free to go where God wants you to go, to do what he wants you to do, to give what he wants you to give. And that will not happen as long as you're unbalanced. And perhaps it can't happen right now because the financial situation you're in, of your own making. Maybe you feel generous towards different organizations in your heart. Maybe between to children or to hospitals or to situations around the world. But you can't act on your own generosity because you are so strapped with debt and living a lifestyle that precludes you from affording to act. I want you to be financially free not to do whatever you want to do, but to be free to do what your heavenly Father has called you to do with this one life, which is a test, which is a trust, and which is a temporary assignment. Then you will find contentment in the area of personal finance. And lastly, I want you to be content because a big part of discontentment stems from our unquenchable, insatiable desire for more and more and bigger and flasher stuff. When is enough enough? Next week, we're going to look at what our objective should be. Let's pray. Father, I am so, so grateful that I was taught these things when I was young. I don't take any credit for that. I thank you for both Kimberly's and my parents that were living examples that didn't use credit cards and debt unwisely that learned to be content with what they had and having lived simply, they were free to give. Thank you for the pastors in our lives that have shared faithfully with us your word to us. And Heavenly Father, please use these next few weeks to help us to think the way that you think about money that you have given us to manage Not necessarily so we can even give more or have more or spend less, but that we may be in sync with you in every arena of our lives. I especially pray, Lord, for the hoarders that have a hard time in being generous. Break that for them. For the spenders that have a hard time in saving, would you break those bad habits, Lord? Whatever area of our imbalance, please show us what to do and give us the courage to go forward and do it. I pray all these things in the powerful and the glorious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And all the people said, Amen. God bless.